You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates of the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Well, when the best part of a game is the arena playing Chris Cornell's cover of Patience during an offside review, yeah, it's probably been a bit of a stinker. Jets lose 2-1 to the Oilers in regulation. Still a decent amount of breakdown in the game, despite it being an absolute snooze fest. We'll get to that to kick off our final episode of the week. Plus, we'll go back to Wednesday's game against Montreal. A little bit more good than bad in that one as the Jets picked up another OT victory against the Habs there. We'll break that one down as well. And unfortunately, one of our food guests had some technical difficulties that we couldn't quite figure out. So we'll get that fine establishment on very soon. But in the meantime, we'll reach back into the vault and pull out a beauty talk we had a little while back with Obi Khan. Everyone in Winnipeg knows him. A ton of fun with that chat going into Shawarma Khan, Green Carrot, and Good Local as well. He's an absolute beauty, doing a ton of great work in the city. That's coming up in a little bit. But back to the Jets' loss in Edmonton on Thursday night. You know, to be honest, I just didn't have a whole lot of hopes going into the game. I thought it was a brutal spot for the Jets to be in. I mean, traveling on the second end of a back-to-back to to Alberta is one thing. And then doing so after playing the Montreal Canadiens, a team who are just demons on the forecheck, and and they're just a pain in the ass to play against, and it goes to OT on top of it. I wondered how much the Jets would have left in the tank. And in my opinion, it really showed as as the game wore on there. And, And the Jets just didn't really have... A whole lot of offensive chances to speak for. Didn't didn't generate a whole bunch. You know, with all due respect, when the fourth line is maybe your best line on the night, yeah, it's probably not going to go too well in your search for two points. So, you know, I, I think when you look at the schedule, there's, and as we get forward here with, I mean, every team in the, in the league is seemingly going through this right now. There's going to be nights like this where, you're just a victim of the schedule, and there's not a lot you can do about it outside of your goaltender maybe stealing one for you because you're not going to have your legs under you, and it's going to be tough to generate chances, to generate goals, and and Winnipeg just didn't really do a whole lot of that all game long. I guess maybe the one issue I might have is that you look at the time on ice after the game, and you have Shifley playing 23 minutes. You have Blake Wheeler at his age playing 22-19. And then Paul Stasny, 21-16. For all three of those guys, other than a minute, that's all even strength time. You know, there was there weren't a whole lot of penalties in the game. So you're just really overtaxing Paul Maurice's top line at the very least. You would have thought maybe, wouldn't you give Dubois, who had 14 and a half minutes, some extra time? Nick Ehlers, 1746. Kyle Connor, the exact same. I, I was a little surprised by that, to be honest. I didn't think the Lowry line had a whole lot going. So, you know, I'm, I'm okay with them not getting a ton more ice time. But I don't know. When the team just looked like they didn't have a whole lot, just continuously throwing out the oldest line they had on the second end of a back-to-back, I didn't think was the best idea. But in all reality, it probably didn't matter a whole lot. And to be fair, you know, if Mark Shifley 
is able to get some stick on a puck with about 40 seconds to go, a wide open net on top of it, we might be talking a little bit of a different tune in how the Jets were resilient and found a way to tie it and possibly win it in overtime. So it wasn't it wasn't all bad. I didn't think the Jets were were awful or anything like that. I just think it was kind of understandable why they lost 2-1 to the Edmonton Oilers. The positive, though, is that defensively, they didn't really give Edmonton a whole lot. You know, Brassois was good, but it's not like he had to stand on his head a la Hellebuck against Montreal and Toronto his past few games. So that was a step in the right direction, at least, that, hey, you know, even when the offensive game wasn't clicking, the Jets, for the most part, were able to limit the damage that Edmonton had. They were able to keep him to the outside. Basically, when McDavid wasn't on the ice, that was kind of the game. And, and, and really, that's what turned the tide. And it has for Edmonton all season long. But that was the difference in this one, right? Outside of Connor McDavid, yeah, it was a pretty evenly played game. When Connor McDavid was on the ice, there's your game. There's two points for Edmonton. And it kind of sucks too because the two goals that were scored were extremely preventable as well, which is a bit of a theme going back to the Montreal games. But you have the first one. I mean, maybe they give Josh Morrissey a bit of a break on it, right? Bit of a wobbly puck along the boards, but still you would like him to make a better play on that one. At the very least, maybe just keep it trapped along the board so Connor McDavid doesn't get a chance to grab the puck and whip it on net in a pretty dangerous scoring area. But I'll even let him off the hook on that one. But still maybe a bit preventable at that. The second one is is the backbreaker, right? Yeah, you get that game-tying goal. A great tip by Matthew Pro, And it's funny on that, before we get to Edmonton's goal, on that one there, when I saw Nate Thompson begin to line up for the shot, I'm like, well, there's a wasted three-on-two. A complete wasted opportunity. Way to go on that one. And then Perot makes the great tip to tie the game up. But going back to that Edmonton goal, it's pretty obvious where the breakdown is, right? Derek Forbort tries to make a pinch, tries to be aggressive up there at the red line, and he just needed to read the play better, quite simply. Just needed to make a better read on it. You had three forwards, and I didn't think the forwards were necessarily in a bad spot there. It's just, as a defenseman, you need to know that you don't have support when you're making that pinch in that scenario. And Blake Wheeler was just a little bit too far away from the play for Forbert to necessitate that pinch and, and make sure that decision was a good one. And that's what led to a two-on-one. Connor McDavid, two-on-two, is basically unfair. So when you're going to give him the man advantage, yeah, it's pretty much curtains at that point. So, yeah, just little plays there, right? And that, that maybe makes it more frustrated. It's not these massive breakdowns. It's just two seconds basically turned the game completely for the Edmonton Oilers. And again, isn't it kind of crazy that <laughs> the Jets hold McDavid to two goals, two points on the night? And you're like, yeah, they kind of played him good. They didn't do that bad against him. I mean, McDavid's basically at Bo Jackson Tecmo Bowl level right now. Like, it's just unfair. You basically, like, you shouldn't be allowed to throw him out on the ice for 20 plus minutes a night. That, that's the, the feeling I get watching Connor McDavid play. So, again, yeah, the Jets played him pretty well. It's just, this is what he does. He's doing it to everybody out there. Two points is basically like his norm this season. And, and the Jets fell victim to that. Having said that, though, you know, watching Edmonton games, there and we know the instances are few and far between where McDavid doesn't really get onto the score sheet a whole lot. I think Toronto's been the only team that's been able to keep him off the score sheet for multiple games. I mean, yeah, they had that, that three-game shutout stretch against the Oilers this season. So Toronto, surprisingly, is the only team to really keep him in check. But one player in particular that I found over the past few years that's done a good job on him is Neil Pionk, guys. Neil Pionk is a feisty little dude, and I, I like watching him compete. He's been a ton of fun to watch this season. To me, clearly the Jets' best defenseman all year long. And he, I thought, had a pretty strong game last night as well. The standout play is, and unfortunately the Jets couldn't capitalize on it, but just some great work in his own end on Ryan Nugent Hopkins right along the blue line there, just pestering him, skating extremely well with him, able to poke him off the puck, and if not for a bit of a trip or a hook, probably going the other way on a bit of a midi breakaway and, and a potential scoring chance for Winnipeg. Neil Pionk has just been outstanding all season long, 
And, and I like guys like that. I, I mentioned this before earlier this season after a Jets-Oilers game. But against Connor McDavid, I'm not trying to hit him. I'm not trying to play him physical because I don't know if I can catch him. But if I could have a defenseman that's mobile and can at least somewhat skate with him, somewhat limit his time and space, I would way rather go that route as opposed to trying to rough up a guy that skates like the wind. So I thought, again, Neil Pionk, like he's done all year long, had a pretty solid game. Now, it's funny. Maybe the biggest positive from the game is something that didn't happen. (laughs) And I'll explain why here. A major, major scare early in the first, or sorry, late in the first period, Mark Shifley takes that blocked shot to his, I guess it was his ankle, somewhere on his leg, limps off the ice, takes a long time to come off the bench and into the dressing room going into intermission there. Thankfully, he finished the game and, like I said, playing the most time on ice for the Jets as a whole, so I imagine he's going to be okay moving forward. But it was weird because Shifley goes down and I didn't feel an overwhelming sense of dread. I didn't feel like the sky was falling on Winnipeg for the first time in in probably ever, to be honest. Because the Jets are situated nicely at center, right? You could still roll Dubois, Stasny, Lowry down the middle as your top three centers if Shifley had to miss any time or if he does miss any time if that leg or ankle swells up a little bit after this game. So that was, I don't know, you know, I don't have a whole lot for that one, but it was just one of those situations where it's like, oh yeah, that was pretty good. It's nice to know that, you know, one injury isn't going to completely cripple the Jets' chances of, you know, grabbing a playoff spot and going on a deep run this season. Much, much different than years past, which is great. And to me, the best thing that came out of the loss. But enough of that game. The fact that we got a decent segment out of that, I think, is... Is a reason to celebrate. I really hated that game. I, I just didn't like it. I thought it was boring as hell. And I'm glad it's over. It was a little bit late too. Uh, so we'll move from that one. We'll go back to Wednesday night in just a second here. A really, really exciting game for the Jets in that overtime victory. But first, before we get to that, the tournament's finally here. The brackets, hopefully you set your brackets. You better have. The teams are ready to hit the court and DraftKings. The leader in one-day fantasy is celebrating with their largest free college basketball survivor pool ever. How big? A million dollars in total prizes is up for grabs. And if that's not enough, check this out. When you enter the free DraftKings $1 million survivor pool, you could get a shot at winning $10,000, 10K for every upset Through the first two rounds of the tournament, that's right, every upset leading up to the Sweet 16, it sounds like easy money to me. Easy to play as well. You just pick one team a day, could be the number one seed against the 16th seed, for example, and if they win, you survive and advance to the next round. That's it. Last person standing is the winner. Remember, you can only pick one team once for the entire tournament, so choose wisely. And as always, DraftKings is a safe and secure app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Get in on all of this week's action. Download the DraftKings app now. Enter code THPN during sign-up and enter the free $1 million survivor pool. Again, that is code THPN to enter into DraftKings' free $1 million survivor pool. Eligibility restrictions and terms and conditions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. I hope you guys got your March Madness brackets all ready to go. I just finished mine up. The family always has one every year. Bragging rights with the wife is on the line as well. I had a four-year losing streak against her. I'm three years in a row about to tie it up this year, so I'm all jacked and ready to go. I'm trying to pick up my uh, final four here so you guys can make fun of me. Let me know who you have, by the way. Uh, But I think I got Gonzaga, Baylor, Houston, some other team that probably won't make it. Doesn't matter. I got Gonzaga winning the whole tournament. The best team in college hoops this year. But make sure to check it out, too. Download DraftKings. Again, the code is THPN. And, I mean, it's kind of easy money. At least the chance at easy money, in my opinion. And it makes watching... 
in this case basketball but also hockey a ton of fun just adds a little excitement and all it takes is five bucks on top of it to get in on the play so jets habs wednesday night ot victory to me the biggest development in that game and something that could be absolutely critical not could be will be critical moving forward is that we're starting to see dubois connor and ehlers emerge pretty nicely I think like I think we're past the point now where we can say the chemistry's there between the three. They were outstanding in that game. A little bit less so in the Edmonton game on Thursday night, but Wednesday they were flying. And Kyle Connor was moving, and we're starting to see him, I think, find his stride offensively at the very least. I mean, it's it's been Nick Ehlers' season all year long. He was tremendous. And and I think Dubois slowly starting to to get his feet under him and maybe push back what had been a rocky start there with the quarantine and the injury and all that. So that was outstanding to see. That line was their best line of the night, no doubt about it. Josh Morrissey was a little bit more of a mixed bag. I don't think it was a... I'm not going to say it was a bad game. It, it certainly wasn't like the first game against Montreal, no doubt about that. Josh Morrissey made an outstanding play on... One of Kyle Connor's goals. I believe it was the third goal in the night, Kyle Connor's second goal. He comes in, makes a, an aggressive but a really smart pinch on one of the Montreal forwards to keep the puck in the zone. That leads to an easy Kyle Connor essential tap in. That was the Josh Morrissey I think we're all accustomed to seeing. The good Josh Morrissey at the very least. So it looked like early on he was starting to trend in the right direction. Okay, maybe him and DeMello, you know, now that they're back playing together for the first time in a little while. Maybe we can start to see some solid play from him. And then ending the game, we see Josh Morrissey lose his man out in front. A little bit of puck watching. I mean, it was a great play and a great pass by by Corey Perry, unfortunately. Richard Perry, I should say, not Corey Perry. <laughs> um, but he did lose his man back door, And that almost cost the Jets the two points. So a little bit of good, a little bit of bad. But at the very least, maybe Josh Morrissey starting to turn the corner, hopefully. We'll see where his game is in a couple weeks at the very least. Now, the one thing I have to get to here, and this bugged the hell out of me. And to be honest, it has for a while now. And I would love to get the reasoning from Paul Maurice why he does this. Because I can't imagine the numbers are are kind in this situation. I w- I'm just curious why he goes this route. And what I'm talking about is who he throws over essentially as his first choice to defend the lead when the other team has their goalie pulled. And yes, I'm sure we all know who the culprits are at this point, but mainly Mark Shifley and and Blake Wheeler. We know that those two are generally always on the ice when Winnipeg's trying to ice a game and protect the lead late. And, and maybe it's Stasny on their wing. Maybe it's Connor, Eli, somebody. But that's always been Paul Maurice's go-to. He trusts Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler in particular to close out a game. And they've got, I guess to be fair, and this is might be why Paul Maurice leans towards those guys, is they have a ton of empty net points over the past three seasons in particular. And so if you score an empty net goal, what do you do? You win the game, right? I, I understand that part of it where... A goal is extremely valuable in that situation. But what is also valuable is not giving up the tying goal. And that's where, I mean, obviously that's where you put the most importance on. But if that's the case, come on. You cannot convince me that Adam Lowry should not be the first choice over Mark Shifley as a centerman to protect a one-goal lead late. It's just no contest between the two. Adam Lowry is clearly the best defensive center on this team. And as Menno Knight on Twitter <laughs> so eloquently put, you know, why have a checking line if you're not going to allow them to check? And, and that's what Adam Lowry does. That's what he does best. So put him out there late. I, and we all know the insane amount of times the Jets have blown late leads, have cost themselves a point or multiple points in games over the past several seasons now. And unfortunately, Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler a ton have been on the ice for a lot of those goals. And so the fix is really easy to me. 
And and again, I would love to know what Paul Maurice's thoughts are on this. And hey, you know what? If if you think Shafley Wheeler are a good duo to put out there late, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know at Brandon underscore Rewiki. I tweeted out Thursday morning after I watched the game. You know what? What in the world is the reasoning behind this? And I didn't get a whole lot of pushback. I just don't understand it. To me, Adam Lowry should no doubt about it be the first choice center over the boards late in the game once the goalie's pulled, if you're allowed to get that change through. And on top of that, Lowry Cobb really should be your only choice, the first choice, right? Andrew Cobb, no doubt about it, one of the best defensive wingers, I think, of the North Division. It may be a little bit further out than that, but those two, I don't have a, you know, even if Paul Maurice just put those two out there, and if you wanted to put Shafley out there, on the wing to get him out for whatever reason. Yeah, go ahead and do that. But Lowry Cobb have to be the pair. No doubt about it up front. And on top of that, too, you have two two guys that can take face-offs and are decent at them, right? So if Lowry gets kicked off, you don't have to worry about, oh, I don't have anybody else to put out there. I could put Andrew Cobb out there. So, you know, it kind of got me thinking, at least, who would you want to see out there as your forward lineup to defend a one-goal lead late with a goalie pull? I'm I'm curious to know what the best group is. May, and maybe it's just simply Lowry Cop Appleton. <laughs> you know, you put the current third line out there and you'd feel pretty good about that. I don't have a problem with that. It might even be my my preferred trio of of best defensive forwards on the team. One other option, and it's a little bit eh, <laughs> because I know some people don't like the guy or don't like him, you know, being on the team, being one of the top twelve forwards on the team. But maybe you go Nate Thompson, Adam Lowry, Andrew Cobb. Nate Thompson is the best faceoff guy on the team, one of the best in the NHL. And for all his offensive lack of production, he is still at his age a very, very strong defensive forward. So that's another play, too, that the Jets could lean to in that situation. But I think if I had to pick, I'm probably going Lowry Cobb Appleton. For sure, Lowry Cobb. I mean, if you wanted a bit of a, a quote-unquote offensive push or a guy with some skill to throw out there. I would even go Ehlers over Shifley or Wheeler. I don't even mind Shifley out there on the wing either, but I think I would like to see Lowry Cop appleton That's the shutdown line. And then if there's still time on after that, then you could throw Shifley out there to try and ice the game on an empty net or, or however it may play out. But I'll be intrigued to see if there's any changes made by Paul Maurice moving forward here the next time the Jets get an empty net lead because it does seem like for whatever reason he leans towards his guys in Shifley and Wheeler. Fortunately, it didn't cost the Jets the game, but it did give Montreal a potentially very valuable point and we'll see if that plays anything down the line. Well, that does it for the Hockey Talk for Skates and Plates this episode at least. It's time, like I said earlier, to dig back into the vault. And here's an interview with a name that a lot of Winnipeggers are familiar with, and he is one absolute beauty. All right, very pleased now to be joined with the owner of ShawarmaCon, Green Carrot, and Good Local here in the city, Mr. Aubie Khan. Aubie, how's it going today? I'm good, Matt. No one's called me Mister, but I'll take it. Yeah, I don't know why I threw that in there, but I guess it's just a sign of respect. You know what it probably is? I want to give you big props because I work with a former teammate of yours, and he's been saying forever every time we talk about ShawarmaCon to try the Westwood. Try Westwood for <laughs> years has been trying to get his own special on the menu, and I just I want to say thank you so much for not feeding the animal and making sure it didn't make it to your menu. Yeah, no, there'll be no kickers on my menu ever. <laughs> um, I love Troy, and Troy eats like a horse, but uh, as far as kickers go, I mean, uh, I'll have to pass on that one. Very good. I appreciate that. So we'll start off with a look at ShawarmaCon. And I know just doing some research here that during your retirement press conference, you mentioned about opening up ShawarmaCon. And I was just wondering, was owning a restaurant something that you thought of like more so at the end of your playing career or had that always been a goal for you? No, I think it came really uh, to fruition at near the end of my career. Eight years, nine years, you know, your clock's ticking in professional sports. So <laughs> I was kind of thinking the last couple of years, man, I got to have an exit strategy. What's my exit going to be? Um, 
And yeah, I threw around a bunch of different ideas. Uh, ultimately, I landed on Shawarma Khan. You know, and Winnipeg's a small market, and the people kind of knew me, right? I'm a big six foot four, three hundred and ten pound East Indian guy walking around. So <laughs> people knew me. I developed a lot of goodwill in the city. So I said, what if I can open something and people will come to me? And you know, I looked at uh, you know clothing stores. Uh, various service industries, and ultimately I landed on shawarma con. I mean, I love food, I love shawarma, and there was a real gap here in Winnipeg, so I said maybe I can do something with that. Were you into cooking as a youngster? God, no. no. I, <laughs> I don't hate cooking. I should say that. Uh, thank God I own restaurants because I can't cook at all. So, uh, you know, I put a lot of time and effort in with some help, uh, you know, polishing the recipes, but once those are done, I think I eat shawarma six days a week, and it would be seven if we weren't closed on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, so tell us what what's the process like, or I, I guess maybe more so when you first started. Did you hire a chef or a team? How did you come up with these recipes then? Yeah, so I was lucky. My uh, One of my oldest friends, best friend, uh, and he actually played guard with me in high school and junior. Uh, Joel ended up going on to be a culinary chef, and he's Lebanese. Mm. So when I was throwing around the idea, I said, Joel, uh, I want to open up a shawarma restaurant. Can you help me out? He said, I'd love to. So, you know, being Lebanese background, his mom makes a lot of this stuff. So he flew out to Winnipeg here for a couple months with me and really helped me polish off the recipes and teach me everything. And, uh, you know, the rest is history, as they say. Awesome. So is it, would you say more Lebanese? Because I know your background is Pakistani. Is it, is it more like Lebanese Correct. shawarma? Yeah, you know, it's evolved over time. So when we first started, it was really Lebanese. Um, but we've kind of evolved and put my own little spin on it. Some of the spices we use might be a little bit more East Indian. Um, but it, it's very Middle Eastern still, true to its calling. With a little dialed down, right? It's also appealing to North Americans. So, you know, I didn't want to go crazy on the garlic sauce or crazy on the spices because we really want to appeal to a large audience here in Winnipeg. And I think we've done that with uh, the recipes at Shormagan. Now, since you were kind of planning this as your career uh, wound it down, did you ever use your teammates, maybe specifically the O-line, as your own little test kitchen? God, no. I'd go bankrupt before I even yeah. opened, man. Those guys <laughs> be like, uh, I mean, I've fed them on a few occasions since we've opened. Uh, you know, when the Stampeders came to town or I got friends on the Lions or the Alouettes or whatever, they'd all come to town and I would cover their dinners for them. And, man, they... I don't believe I used to eat that much food. So <laughs> thank God I opened the restaurants after I retired because those guys would have put me out of business. Uh, fair enough. Good choice. So maybe just explain to our listeners just what shawarma is. So shawarma is basically a Middle Eastern rotisserie. So it's it's, it's a pile of meat. We, we stack the meat in-house. We marinate it for 48 hours. And then my cook comes in the morning and we make these vertical spits, these vertical rotisseries. And then we put it on an open flame, and it just spins and cooks all day long. So as you come in, we shave it fresh. You know, my real thought process behind it was, you know, people want to have fresh food, and they want to have good, healthy food, right? They don't want to, you know, all this eat fresh, whether it's Subway or Freshy. You know, they say they're fresh, but mm-hmm. are they really? Everything comes vacuum-sealed and made in a factory. Uh, you know, the sauces are mass-produced. So I really wanted to make it unique, in-house. You get to see the food made in front of you. Uh, part of the experience as well, you go in, you see these big rotisserie spinning. Um, so basically we shave it off and we either put it in a wrap for you with lettuce, tomatoes, and onions, and or you get it on a plate, uh, which is, you know, fan favorite, especially for offense linemen. It's rice, potatoes, two salads, two sauces, a pile of meat, pita chips, and, you know, you really go to town on that. Yeah, plus, I mean, cooking anything on a spit is really the best way to go. And there's just there's something magical about just shaving off like the crispy, crusty edge pieces, isn't there? I totally agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I'm usually the first one to get the food at eleven o'clock. Yeah. That first <laughs> cut is just to die for. So it is, and you know, the, the meat marinating also really adds a lot of flavor to it. Instead of just having like you know plain chicken mm-hmm. or beef and lamb, you know, we do have lamb on the menu, which is quite unique. So it it, it is really something special, and it, you know, I really wanted to give value to customers. You go somewhere, you pay 10 bucks nowadays, and you get a tiny little sandwich. You pay 10 bucks at Shomar Con, and you're getting a large wrap, or you're getting a large plate with, you know, all the fixings. So 
you know, to me as an offensive, a former offensive lineman, I should say, <laughs> you know, I really wanted to add value for that money. So, you know, I think we executed that really well with Sean McConnell. Now, I have to ask you, my go-to order here actually doesn't involve anything that comes off the spit, but I am a huge falafel rap fan. I have to say, in my opinion, I think your falafels are the best in the city. Well, thanks, brother. I mean, I, I don't know if you're saying that because I'm talking to you now on the air. No, no. Yeah. Mean that. No, I'm not behind your back, you know, mentioned in another place. I, I, I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe tell us the secret to the falafel, but I think it's either, yes. to, to me, what the problem is they're either crispy on the outside and dry in the middle or they're moist yeah. in the middle, but there's no crisp on the outside. Yeah, so we uh, totally agree with you uh, on the falafel aspect of it. And there's a couple of great falafel spots here in Winnipeg. Uh, but I, ours got a little different spice too, to it. So this is something that's got a little bit more kick than your traditional just falafel. Find them to be a little bit more bland, a little more salty. We add a fair amount of kick to it. Uh, we mince in the parsley as well, which is really nice. And then we turn the fire up, you know, pretty high to get that crispy on the outside and soft on the inside. And we make them fresh to order. So, you know, it's not like one of those places that says they're fresh waffles, but they open it out of a vacuum-sealed bag and they pop it in a microwave, right? We make them fresh to order. We drop them in front of you uh, and they come out steaming hot and we put them in the wrap and they're to die for. It's so damn good. It's it's just so good. And then part of my order, too, and I just, it's funny you mentioned it a little earlier that, that you go easy on the garlic sauce. I, I do not do that. I pretty much go through half a bottle that you have there. Actually, when we first opened it, Sean McConnell, our garlic sauce was too garlicky. So we had Ooh. a lot of complaints from customers because the people weren't really used to it, right? I think now, eight years later, people are really craving that extra, extra hint of garlic. But we do get our customers that come in and say, load up the garlic. And then we get other customers that come in and say, don't put any garlic sauce on there. My wife will kill me if I go home and smell like garlic again. Oh. So we're kind of 50-50 on that. So it's, it is a real you know, special recipe that we really love. Uh, and we take a lot of pride in making it. I just, I just don't think there's anything such as too much garlic. So that uh, those, those kind of people upset me. But we'll, we'll move on from that. Uh, <laughs> well, you're lucky. You're married. You already got a lady, so you're good to go. Well, I said, so she, yeah, she's the garlic queen. So may, maybe it was just like meant to be that we could find a way to make work between us. The salads now. That's a big part of your menu as well. Is the tabbouleh kind of your best seller, or maybe just take us into the three salads that you offer? Yeah, so we have our, our tabbouleh salad, which is parsley-based, uh, really fresh, light salad. People, if you like parsley, you're going to love it. I personally, I don't know if I should say this, but I hate parsley. <laughs> so I actually stay away from the tabbouleh salad, but I just don't like parsley. So people really like it. It's really authentic Lebanese. That's probably our most authentic salad we have there. We have a chickpea uh, salad recipe. Uh, that one's from my sister. She helped make me make that one. So my eldest sister, Hamera. If I don't say her name, she wants her name on the menu, just like Westwood, and it's not happening. Why not? Um, well, I mean, I got enough. I got the big bird for Duck Brown. I got the Seagull. You know, I got the Ralph of Con. There's only so many guys. You know, Harris wants this. I got some Harris on there somewhere. So uh, maybe we'll get some Jets up on there one day. So it's uh, the chickpea salad is a real, real nice one. Uh, high protein, again, super fresh, light. And then a uh, new one that we added was the beets and apples. So that's a total out of left field. Uh, a cook of mine came up with the idea, said, hey, what about beets and apple? People really like beets. We can, you know, flavor it and, and make it really special. Um, so that's kind of what we've done with that. And that, that's actually, I would say, probably our best-selling salad is the beet and apple hmm. one. Interesting. Yeah, I, I haven't yeah. even seen that one, to be honest, yet. Yeah, it was just we were just kind of wanting to freshen up the menu, right? Like, let's add something else to the menu. What else can we do? And beets and apple, and we tried it, and people really loved it. Uh, it's a real unique salad. You know, you go to you go to a restaurant again, you know, and you order beets. Beets are a real pain in the butt to cook, but let me tell you, you got to boil them, you got to no peel kidding. them, you got to cut them, they stain everything. Um, so if you go to your traditional restaurant, you're getting a small salad for 10 15 bucks. Storm O'Connor is you're getting a full salad. Now, let's go to the specialties here. I'm a little bummed. I mean, if your sister can't get it on, I don't know if the Rewiki's going to make it onto the specialty menu, the falafel with extra garlic sauce. But is yeah, the uh, that's a tough one. yeah I figured <laughs> is the is the wrath of Khan is that your go to order? No, it's not. It's too big for me. I was gonna say I'm it's like gigantic. Secrets out here. It's, uh, <laughs> I've had it. I have it every now and then. Uh, but I get the mini wrath of Khan. It's not on the menu. But it's oh. the large, It's too much, man. It's it's chicken. It's beef. It's lamb. It's falafel. It's all the vegetables. Like it's a big. It's a big shawarma wrap. Uh, if I eat it, I need to take a nap. I don't know how people come in from work and they'll order it, 
and then they'll go to work. I, I can't do it. So it is a real top seller. People really love it. You know, the novelty of the name, Rafficon, I think adds some flavor to it. So it's it's a real, real big boy. If, you, if you're hungry, try the Raf. Have you seen people finish it? I've seen people finish it regularly. Jeez. I actually, Dwayne Ford, um, you know him yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he eats two Rafficons every game day he's in town. No. Two in one sitting. I don't know how he does it, man. It's nuts. So, you know, you get the offense line, they come in there, they'll probably get two as well themselves and, and eat them. But, no, we uh, we had a contest in the beginning where if you ate two Rathacons with all the fixings in 10 minutes, it was free. <laughs> and you'll be amazed at how many people came in and ordered two Rathacons. <laughs> we had to take it off. <laughs> Even, like, just the regular wraps, are, they're, like, they're no joke. And, no, and so to, to double it up like that, I'm just blown away. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, people love their food, man. And when it's good food and it's, and it's it's health, it's healthy. It's not like you're eating the Big Mac. It's not like you're eating yeah. the Big Mac. <laughs> so people will use that as an excuse and just scarf them down. So I always enjoy when people order the Rafficon. Uh, it's a real fun treat for me when people, you know, it, it makes me feel good. It's my name, and it's it's an idea I came up with. We're speaking with former Blue Bomber legend Aubie Khan, the owner of Shawarma Khan, Green Carrot, and Good Local. You're listening to Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. Can you tell us, I guess, just the things you had to change and, and how you've been able to adapt throughout the pandemic? What are some things that, whether it was adding it to your menu or just, you know, changing up how you did things, how have you found a way to to trudge through the last couple of months? Yeah, you know, great question. I get that often from people. I think the biggest thing we did was I sat down with the operations team and managers and said, hey, we got we want to stay open. We got to stay open. How can we do this? And we really looked at our systems and what we were doing as far as food costing goes, as far as labor goes. You know, we changed up a couple items on our menu to make it you know easier, more cost effective, with less staff and less customers coming in, and still offering that freshness. So we really looked at our operations. If we dialed it back, you know, we're not doing unfortunately because of COVID. You know, those spits are big and they're very expensive to make. Yeah. And if you're not getting customers coming in the door, you got, you know, this $200, $300 spit rotating all day and no one's coming in um, with COVID. So we had to change up our beef lamb spit and we actually went to a beef lamb kebab. So that is kind of more of a home recipe. Kebabs are a little bit more, this one's probably a little bit more East Indian flavored and spiced. Um, based off of our burger, actually, during burger week, we took that burger patty and we made it into a kebab. But that allows us to, you know, really control our food costs. Because if you only have 10 customers come in a day and you're making 10 beef lamb kebabs, it's easy. But if you have a $200 spit rotating all day and only 10 customers come in, you're in trouble, right? So yeah. operationally, we were, we in the beginning, we said we really need to change something. So, you know, we did that. We looked at our salads and, you know, we said, how can we make them fresh? And we're making them a couple times throughout the day now just to manage, you know, for the flow of traffic coming in. So those things have really helped. And you know what? Winnipeg's been awesome, man. People have been ordering, skip the dishes and DoorDash and take out like crazy. So we're one of the few, you know, I'm really lucky and blessed that people are still coming out and they're still eating and ordering. So we've been able to manage this, you know, pandemic uh, pretty good, I think. That's awesome to hear. Great stuff. We'll uh, move yeah. over now to one of your other pet projects, uh, Green Carrot. Can you maybe just yeah. explain how you got into the juice biz? Well, you know, the juice biz is an interesting one because it was, you know, retired 310 pounds, offensive lineman. I was eating like a monster, and I really got this knack for, you know, the food service industry. So I said, you know, I really looked at what we were doing, you know, in Winnipeg and, and you know, North America as, as trends and, you know, concepts and juice bars were really big. People really want to be healthy. So I kind of dove in there a bit more and said, okay, let's actually make, uh, let's see if we can make a go of this. So we designed a lot of cold-pressed juices. The backstory of green carrot is I actually have Crohn's and colitis disease, so it's an mm. uh, inflammatory bowel disease. So I had it when I was playing football. It was diagnosed with the bombers. I went through some major surgeries, and I used to juice a lot at home. And uh, people were really getting into juicing health-wise. So I said maybe I can you know turn this into business. And I had a lot of experience with recipes and juicing. So from there I kind of got the ball rolling and uh, came up with a bunch of recipes and smoothies. You know, people really want healthy smoothies. Like. I think if people, if you can make it healthy and you can make it convenient and at a at a at a affordable price, people will mm-hmm. come. And we managed to do that with green carrots. Some of our smoothies are just dynamite, and our juices are super healthy. People really love them. So that was kind of that idea, and that took off on its own. So now we have three green carrots, we have three shawarma cons, and you know, we're looking to once this pandemic is done, to hopefully open up a couple more. 
right on and then maybe move into intergalactical dominance something like that once you're done with manitoba well, that's the plan yeah, yeah we want you know I, I think the next dominance would come going to you know the the green guys next door uh you know i'd love to get a couple shormas in uh, there with you know brendan labat a good buddy of mine played at the oh, nice. here and a rider legend so him and i have talked said hey what if i open one up there you want to come on board so you know there's Talks hopefully to get there and you know maybe get into Mosaic Stadium there as well. Look, we're at Investors Group here and really build that brand and give people that option of healthy, fresh, delicious food. So I, I kind of understand like the whole coming up with a recipe idea for food. Is it the same with like juices and smoothies, or how does that work? Yeah, so that's kind of the same thing. I mean, you just do a lot of research, a lot of research, a lot yeah. of behind the scenes of what do people want, what are they drinking, what are other people doing, how can we make it better? That you know, I'm not reinventing the wheel here with shawarma or green carrot. It's looking at what other businesses are doing and finding a way to do it better. Um, whether that means better price point, better service, better quality, you know, better recipes. Really, I think if you try our juices, you know, I'll put my juices up against any juice, <laughs> any of the billion dollar companies out there. And I really believe our juices because they're made fresh. We don't uh, we're not we don't pasteurize them. We make them you know a couple times a week. We're bottling four, five, six hundred juices, and and people really love that. So it's it's a lot of research, a lot of testing. Let me tell you, I drank gallons and gallons and gallons of juice trying to come up with these <laughs> recipes and tweak them, um, and it was quite the experiment. You know, it's easy when you're making a apple ginger lemon juice. It's only three recipes, but when you get into a hardcore that has 12 ingredients like, you know, uh, cucumber or parsley, um, apples, uh, celery, spinach, kale, lemon, lime, ginger. When you're adding all those in there, you got to get the portions just right. So that took a long time to come up with. Were there, were there some gnarly ones in the testing process? Oh, brother, man, let me tell you, were there some gnarly ones? There were, there were a lot of gnarly ones because you don't know what it's going to taste yeah. like. Like, let me try four ounces of kale three ounces of spinach and, you know, an ounce of apple juice. And you're like, this is terrible. Um, and we threw it. We, we had a bunch of other, you know, items on the red menu that we were trying to fool around with that we just couldn't make work. So, uh, you know, we got our 12 staples and, and people really love them. All right, I'll try to wrap this up quickly here. I'm sorry I'm keeping you so long. I know you're super no, no, busy I today. I love, I love talking food, man. It's my uh, passion. It's all good, brother. The black lemonade, I I mean, I've been into green carrot a bunch. I have yes. never seen this. It's activated charcoal, which I'm familiar with. I've just never seen it in, like, a juice or in a liquid form. Yeah, so that was another thing we experimented with, right? Like, you know, you, I follow trends, and I read a lot, and you see activated charcoal. People are really enjoying it, and it's got a lot of really good health, uh, you know, benefits to it. It's really good for detoxifying, removing toxins from your body, uh, in a simple juice format. So, you know, we got the activated charcoal and, you know, powder form, and we mix that with, you know, hand-pressed pomegranate juice, or not pomegranate, sorry, grapefruit, um, and it's a real, it's a real beauty. It's, you know, in the summer, it's more of a favorite because it's got that citrusy flavor to it, and it, it tastes really good. It's really good if you got a headache or if you've had a couple wobbly pops after oh, a really? game or a bomber game. Yeah, because it... The activated charcoal binds to all the really the toxins and the bad stuff in your body and flushes it out for you. So, if you uh, if you have a late night watching the Jets game or a Bombers game, uh, black lemonade will do the trick for you the next morning. Are you open Sunday mornings? For you, my friend, we, yeah. we are. Open, <laughs> but yes, we. <laughs> I was just, I'm just wondering. Just for you, we are. Because I, yeah, I could switch things up to make it a Friday thing, so I can come in Saturday. But that that is an absolute game changer. It is. And people love it and it tastes really good you know like i don't yeah. i don't sell things that don't taste it people <laughs> aren't gonna buy them so uh i'm in the business of you know getting people to come back so it's it's a it's a big one it looks really cool too it's it's a fun drink and it's it's got health benefits to it now, my family is actually a really big fan of your cleanse packages we've we've done them a yeah. couple times i survived so anybody can get through it but is yeah. is that something that you did you plan on doing that at the start, or did that just kind of come about eventually? Well, it was always on the radar, like of things we wanted to do. Um, we didn't launch with it, but we launched shortly afterwards with it. And yeah, cleansing is really—it's a really, really good way to kickstart your health system, your your health routine. You, you know, it's got a lot of benefits to it. You know, there are people with naysayers on cleansing and this, and the way I say it is: look, you're drinking juices for three days packed with vitamins, minerals, mm -hmm. and nutrients. There's nothing that's going to go wrong here. You're just going to overload your body with nutrients. You're going to flush out everything that's in your digestive tract, all those Kit Kats and chips and pizza <laughs> and hot dogs you've eaten, uh, the Jets dog, you know, 
that, that stuff's coming out of you in three days because you're not eating any fiber on the juice cleanse. It's just pure juice. So you flush out your body, you overload it with nutrients, and then once you're done, you feel fantastic. Like, you've done it. Um, your energy level on day three, four, five is unbelievable. You feel fantastic because you got rid totally. of all of the crap literally inside of you is flushed out of your system. So you're just getting that much more nutrients from everything you eat now. Yeah, it, yeah. For those like if you're at all hesitant, it's it's like a total reset. And you and, and flushing yep. it all out, that's the perfect description. Like you just you feel almost like a new person by the time the third day wraps up. And they are really good. Like even like the, the hardcore green ones are actually pretty tasty. They are. They're they're tasty and they're and they're really uh, and they're really healthy. Like they're they're tasty, they're healthy, they're doing their job and, and you we make it easy for you. You just drink it. You just come in. <laughs> Give me your money. I'll gladly take your money, uh, and I will gladly press these juices for you, and we'll even deliver them for you. We're offering free delivery oh, nice. now because people want to stay. People want to stay home, so let us deliver it to you for free. Now, speaking of delivery and, and free, you uh, just started a new company again, number three here. Can you explain Good Local? Yeah, because I'm not busy enough, yeah. right? So, <laughs> you know, this idea was really born out of the pandemic. It was as a small business owner, I had to shut down a couple in the beginning, and. Uh, you know, I was sitting there talking to a buddy of mine, Ali, who started the company with me. I said, man, there's a lot of businesses just getting killed right now. People must have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of inventory sitting in their garages or the basements or their stores are closed. How can we help move these products? So after, you know, tons of discussions, we said, well, what if we made an online platform where everything good and everything local was able to be purchased, but not only purchased, we'll deliver it to you, right? So you can really stay at home and stay safe. So... There's a lot of platforms out there where you can buy stuff, right? You can go to online, you can buy local, but then how do you get that product to your house? A lot of the small businesses end up paying $10, $15 delivery on a $20 product. They're not making money, right? So Mm -hmm. people want to support local, but the money is not going to local. It's going to the post office or it's going to the, you know, whatever else there is out there. So we said, what if we can package everything, deliver it to you, make this platform, and it's really taken off. We have almost 400 vendors on there. We're finding that 95% of the customers that order from us are ordering three or more uh, from three or more businesses. So they're really supporting local, right? So they're buying a mm-hmm. candle from Colin Canary. They're buying some churros from the churro stop, and they're buying a necklace from Jillian Lee, and they're buying, you know, our garlic sauce is on there now for Shormacon. We finally got that yes. on there. So they're getting this package delivered to their house, very much like Amazon, but it's all local. It's such a great idea, and it's it's such a good cause. And and anybody wondering too, with the uh, the latest holiday coming up, you have a shop Valentine's tab out there to help you out as well. Uh, but it's, we do. We made it easy for guys yeah. like us, man. We made it super <laughs> easy. We we curated these beautiful boxes at a great price. We got a lot of great vendors on there, and literally, it's it's super simple. You just go on there, click it. We got great stuff in there. We got lots of different. We got craft beer on there now. We're launching our local uh, wineries. There are going to be some wine companies going to be coming on board soon. So, you know, you can really support local in this local ecosystem. And I'm a real big pusher mm-hmm. in this because, uh, you know, this is my pitch, and I'm going to say it is, you know, we as consumers really need to think where we're spending our money because when you spend a dollar on Amazon or a dollar at Costco or Walmart, that dollar leaves our local ecosystem. It's gone. So people, businesses aren't using that money at the movie theater while movies are closed now. They're not using it at restaurants. They're not using it at the events or games or or, or going out at night. That money is gone from our system. And if we keep eroding our local ecosystem, we're going to be in a lot more trouble than just this pandemic in a couple years. Preach. Preach. That's, yeah, right on, man. We'll leave it with that because I don't know if I can top that one. But we'll, we'll, we'll do one quick question, the same one that we end all our interviews here with. By the way, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. I know you're super busy. Hey, all good. Anything for the media? Listen, I'll drop everything yeah. for you guys. <laughs> I'm sure. If you had to pick one menu item, whether it's the shawarma con, the green carrot, maybe a combo of both, what would be the Obicon game day menu item of choice? Oh, that's a no-brainer. I love the new kebabs we got. I eat those things twice a day. So I would I would get a beef lamb kebab. It's actually called the kebabi wrap. Um, it's actually a little secret. It's not really on the menu. It's a sleeper item. Ooh. It's our new Middle Eastern coleslaw we made with the kebabs, uh, some peppers, uh, pickles, and just the sauces, and that's it. So it's a delicious. I'll, I will actually eat two of those in the sitting. They're that good, and they're not massive, so... I get the kebabi for sure. Um, Super Bowl's on Sunday, though, so we're closed. I might have to find something else now that you got me thinking. I don't know what I'm going to do now. (laughs) 
Yeah, for Bombers game days, it's it's a no-brainer. Uh, Bomber game days, we're at the stadium, so we have three right. at yep. the, uh, three Shwamakans there, and Rasul Khan is by far the fan favorite. We sell hundreds of those a game. People just love them at a Bomber game. Nothing better than eating a shawarma and watching a game. Right on, man. Well, hey, thanks so much for again for taking the time to join me today. This was an absolute blast, and. All the best in the new year with all three of your places. And for those that maybe haven't heard yet, check out Good Local as well. And, Aubie, can you maybe explain a little more where people can find that and then just anything else they need to know about shawarma, green carrot, or Good Local? Yeah, thanks, brother. Well, I mean, obviously on social media, we're everywhere out there. So ShawarmaCon or Green Carrot. Uh, GoodLocal.ca is the easiest way to go to. Just go to GoodLocal.ca. We tried to make it as user-friendly as possible. So within five minutes, you can pick your items, hit the checkout button, save your credit card, and we'll drop it off to your house on Friday. It's that easy. So goodlocal.ca, get out there, support local, buy a gift for your girl or your boy or, you know, your mom or or anyone, (laughs) and uh, really support local because the money's going back to the vendors here. So it's a real, real, real uh, good little thing there that we can support locally here during these tough times. Awesome. Thanks again so much, Avi. Thanks, brother. Uh, hey, you know what? I'll, if this if this gets a million views or a million listens, we'll get we'll get our rookie uh, Ross on the menu soon. Well, let's make it happen then, everyone. <laughs> a- amen, brother. Thank you. So you heard Obi Khan there. A million listens. Please, for the love of God, Winnipeg, help me out. I need this one. I'm so close. I could almost taste it. Oh. Make sure you check out Shawarmacon, by the way, this weekend. The weather's supposed to be just sexy, so why don't you hit up a patio somewhere, grab a shawarma con. I, I, I go with the wraps. You can grab anything off their menu, though. Maybe a green carrot juice as well, and just enjoy the good vibes outside. Well, that does it for another episode here on Skates and Plates. We're back on Tuesday. A couple games to break down for you. Another Saturday national game showdown against the Edmonton Oilers. And then Monday... The start of another matchup, this time even further out west, will break down the first game of a series against the Vancouver Canucks for the Jets. Plus, we'll have a guest come on and get us ready for the trade deadline just because I got a feeling that Kevin Chevaldeoff is going to make a move well, well before the actual NHL trade deadline. But until then, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Brandon Verwicki. We're back on Tuesday. Peace.